Welcome to episode 163 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on August 7th, 2021. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. This episode is just slammed with awesome news. We've got the Linux market share going up to 1% on the Steam hardware survey. Codeweavers announced the latest version of their crossover suite with 21.0. Pulse Audio has released a new version with 15.0. We'll talk about why that's important, not only for just Pulse, but also for Pipewire. Then we're also going to check out a new desktop environment with Unity X and the potentially big update for the Linux kernel regarding the NTFS driver from Paragon. So we'll talk about that. Also, the Nest with Fedora conference happened this week, and I participated in a talk there. And also, we got some app news with Latte Doc, uh, Gerberer, Gerbera Media Server. Not sure if that's how you say it, but there you go. Did my best. Also, the Cozy Audiobook Reader app is going to be on this episode. All that and so much more coming up right now on Twill, your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Up first in the show this week, we're going to talk about some great news from Steam, and that is the Linux market share for the Steam hardware survey has now hit 1%, actually also an increase of 0.14% from the previous month. Now, you might be thinking, 1%, yeah, okay, who cares? Well, 1% of the entirety of Steam is a big deal. That's potentially millions of gamers, so it does, it does matter in that case. Now, some believe the Steam survey is kind of inaccurate or biased or maybe even just buggy towards prompting Linux users to participate in the survey because a lot of people don't get prompted that much, but if they're on Windows, they get prompted. But this is uh, great news for Linux gaming in general and even beyond gaming because it shows growth in the market share. And I'll also give you a tip later on in this topic about how you can get the Steam survey to pop up as a Linux user, even if you're on Windows at the time. So, but as I said, it's it's more important, not just gaming, but also beyond gaming. As I've had discussions with some application developers who use the Steam survey as a basis to whether or not they make uh, applications for Linux. And, you know, as if all Linux users are gamers. I mean, it's, it's that's not true, but... That's not true for, you know, any operating system. And it's so it's some weird logic that they do that, but it happens. And that's another reason why this is a great sign, because showing growth not only on the platform for the Steam hardware, hardware server for games, it also shows growth for people to, who use it as an example for whether or not they make Linux applications. Plus, the Steam Deck isn't even shipping yet, so we could see a massive influx when it does ship. Perhaps maybe some people even decided to give Linux another try after Valve announced the Steam Deck. I don't know, but I'm glad to see the graph move in the positive direction. Now, let's get to that tip I mentioned about how to get the survey. So, Reddit user iMingan posted an interesting PSA, which could be beneficial to the Linux market share on Steam. So, the PSA, PSA says, if you get the hardware survey while on Windows or Mac, kill Steam, but don't close the survey. Then log in on Linux, and you will now have the survey on Linux. So if you exit Steam without closing the survey, then log into Linux, it should show the survey again, on, but on Linux this time, which is great. Uh, so the, also the user tested this with different computers and different operating systems going back and forth, and it continued to show the survey until they interacted with it. So if you are a Linux user who plays games on Windows sometimes, and you get the survey there, then considering doing this trick to help increase the market share for Linux on Steam. Also, you know, once the Steam Deck is out, I expect that number to increase exponentially. So I'm very excited for the future of Linux gaming. But also, it's, you know, as I said, it's more than just gaming. You know, there's a benefit to Linux 
because of like gaming performance helps the Linux experience overall. And Valve is showing that with a with work they're doing with AMD because they're working together on a CPU frequency power scaling improvements there to enhance the Steam Play gaming experience on modern AMD platforms running Linux, which also helps modern AMD platforms just run Linux. So that's awesome. And also Valve is making a Steam Deck specific API for game developers to target, which means that game developers will be having, you know, looking at the Steam Deck as something to pay attention to, which then makes Linux something to pay attention to even more so. So the, and also speaking of the Steam Deck, Linus from Linus Tech Tips was able to get a hands-on with early stage version of the Valve Steam Deck. And no, I'm not bitter about that. I mean, yes, Valve did make the Steam Deck and it's powered by Linux and Yes, this podcast is one of the most popular Linux podcasts hosted by someone currently in this particular room, but I'm not bitter about it. But seriously, it was really cool to see all the great info in the video. They even took a thermal camera to see where the hotspots were after using it for a little while, so that was cool. And I'll have a link in the show notes to that video if you want to check it out, as well as if you like to learn more about the Steam survey and also all the, and also have a link to the PSA. Uh, all the links that I've mentioned, here, and I'll, I'll have links to everything I mentioned in this topic in the show notes. Up next in the show is some great news from Codeweavers, and that is Codeweaver has announced the latest release of Crossover with version 21.0. Crossover is commercial software powered by Wine for running Windows applications and games on Linux and Mac OS. So Crossover 21.0 has been updated to be based on Wine 6.0 and DXVK 1.7, which they say provides thousands of improvements, including the initial Vulkan backend work around Wine D3D. There's also various improvements for running Microsoft Office 2016 and Office 365 on Linux, which is great, and a lot of the reasons why people use Crossover is that. And Crossover 21.0 also provides faster startup times, which is always nice. You may be wondering, why would someone pay for Crossover when they could just use Wine? Now, this is a great question, and I'm glad you asked. Uh, Codeweavers is a company that sponsors the Wine project and employs many of the Wine developers. Codeweavers are also the people behind development of Proton. Of course, Valve is involved there too, but a significant amount of the development work is from Codeweavers. So by buying Crossover, you're directly supporting the Wine development. Plus, you're also able to get customer support from Codeweavers themselves. So let's talk about pricing of crossover. So there's two options. You can get the per year price, which is $59.95, or you can get the lifetime price, which is $499.95, which of course sounds very like a huge number, but it depends on how much you use it. If you're going to use it for you know more than five years, you're good to go by doing this. Uh, but also what's more important about this is that it's not just a lifetime support for, you know, there's a lot of applications that will give you a lifetime access, but it's only for that particular version and every other version after that you have to pay again. So you only get lifetime of that individual release, but that's not true for the crossover suite that you get a lifetime of updates, not just perpetual usage, which is awesome. And I think it is certainly a good option, especially if you need to run Windows apps in a business environment because you get that support from code weavers. And, you know, you don't want to suffer through running Windows directly. Plus, the, you get the added benefit of supporting Wine. So that's great. And if you'd like to learn more about Crossover from code weavers, you'll find links in the show notes below. The Pulse Audio team has announced the release of Pulse Audio 15.0, and there are many big improvements with this release, including some sought-after improvements to Bluetooth audio. For example, 
Arguably the most exciting piece of this release is the handling of AVRCP Absolute Volume. I know you're thinking, say no more, I'm already downloading it, but seriously, this is quite good. This allows Pulse Audio to control the volume of AD, A2DP, or uh, this is Advanced Audio Distribution Profile Devices. And previously, when sending audio to a headset, Pulse Audio did its, did its own volume control in software, and the headset would do also do its own volume control in hardware, resulting in two different levels of controlling volume, which sometimes made it difficult to get a high enough volume or just made it awkward at times to use. Now, though, there's only one level of volume control in Pulse Audio 15.0, so that is fantastic. Also, 15.0 adds support for LDAC and Aptex codecs for A2DP. This will essentially enable support for playing high-quality music over Bluetooth, plus support for high-quality SBC-XQ configuration variants, which means over a good wireless connection, the quality will be higher and stay there consistently. And if you have connectivity issues causing the bitrate to go down, Pulse Audio 15.0's variable bitrate support has improved so that it can increase the bitrate again after it is reduced. And in addition to the Bluetooth work, Pulse Audio 15.0 brings a rewritten virtual surround sync module, new, uh, support for new hardware, improvements to the Jack Deepus Detect module, so it can automatically load and a Jack sync and source when Jack starts, and various API improvements. And you may be wondering why are why am I talking about Pulse Audio when it comes when it seems to be like on the way out with a lot of people talking about Pipewire these days, including this show. Well, it's interesting because also Pipewire released a version this week with 0.3.33, and there's some very cool features on it, with including some Bluetooth support that can now automatically switch between headsets and an audio profile. But there are a couple of reasons why this is important to talk about. First, Pulse Audio is a default for a lot of distros still. In fact, I think Fedora is the only one that has it as a default. And Pipewire is great, but sadly, some distros don't ship a proper build of Pipewire. So even if it was default, there are some distros that aren't using, aren't doing it properly. So when you install Pipewire, you don't get the best experience as you could with other distros. And also, Pipewire can use Pulse Audio in a lot of ways. So with being Pulse, you know, you you don't really have to have the you know the either or. You can actually use the benef some benefits of Pulse Audio with Pipewire. So essentially, this is great because Pulse Audio is still important to the ecosystem and also important to Pipewire. Though I look forward to the day that Pipewire is a default audio tooling for all Linux distros because Pipewire is amazing. If you'd like to learn more about Pulse Audio 15.0, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBAAS, or as I like to refer to it as DBAS. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. You simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle, well, everything. The provisioning, the managing, the scaling, updates, backups, and security of your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service with partnership with MongoDB Inc., and together they have ensured that you will get access to the latest releases of MongoDB's document database as they become available. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo or DLN dash M-O-N-G-O to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB service. I'm going to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux.
Up next in the show, we have a new desktop environment to talk about. The devs behind Ubuntu Unity Remix distro announced a new development milestone of their upcoming Unity X desktop environment. So what is Unity X? Well, Unity X is claimed to be a successor to Unity 7, though it's not a fork, but rather a rewrite. And interestingly enough, it uses the XFWM4 window manager from XFCE as a part of the DE. Uh, Unity X10 is planned to be released for later this year, including uh, being included in the 21.10 release of Ubuntu Unity Remix. This latest development milestone has improvements to the HUD, or heads-up display, which is one of the coolest features of Unity back in the day, though poorly named. Anyway, this new update also is improvement for the HUD because it works with uh, GNOME apps like Nautilus and GNOME Builder, as well as multiple apps at the same time, which is very interesting. Unity X10 intends to have a lot of what Unity, what made Unity good, and also some new features of their own, such as a new sidebar design for the application launcher and open apps view. They also will have a new panel with system tray icons for Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, logout shortcut, and pulse audio. And this new panel will also show the RAM, CPU, and battery usage. Now, Unity X10 will have a new settings utility as well, but it's still in development stage. So in order to try it out, you will first need to have Ubuntu installed or Ubuntu Unity Remix installed. And from there, you can run a setup process and you'll be able to check out Unity X that way. For those curious, the difference between Unity X and versus Unity versus Lomiri, well, there's quite a bit. So Unity X is intended to be a successor to Unity 7, but instead of being a fork, it's a rewrite of Unity. When I first learned of Unity, uh, the Ubuntu Unity Remix, it made me curious what would happen when Ubuntu decided to end support for Unity entirely, which happened this year, and now we know. We'll have to wait and see how well the Unity X DE performs later when the stable release is ready to go. But as for Lomiri, this is a DE from Ubiport's team that is a fork of Unity 8. So there is a difference between Unity 8 and Unity 7, Unity 8 was originally a rewrite by Ubuntu themselves into Qt as a replacement for the GTK version of Unity 7. Unfortunately, that version of Unity was never released in Ubuntu, so very few people had a chance to play with it. I was one of them, and it was really cool, but not many people got a chance to try it out. But the Uports team decided to fork Unity 8, creating what is now known as Lomiri, and this is a continuation of the path to a Qt-based Unity. Now, I'm curious how Unity X works works out because it is uh, taking an interesting path. Uh, also, Lomiri is very appealing to me because I think Qt is a great toolkit and I really liked Unity back in the day. There's a lot of interesting history around Unity in general. Maybe I should make a video about that, in fact. you know, If you'd like to see me make a video about the rise and fall of Unity, then let me know in the comments below. Uh, and also, if you'd like to check out the Unity X desktop environment, then you'll find links and instructions in the show notes. Up next in the show is the shameless plug section of the news, and that is related to my Firefox bookmarks video that I made. Uh, Firefox is my favorite web browser, and one of the main reasons for that is the great bookmark system. And actually, Firefox bookmarks has one of the best bookmark system of any browsers, and there is a secret hidden feature that I cover in this bookmarks video. So if you're interested in that, you'll find a link in the show notes for my Firefox bookmarks video. Up next in the show, we have some interesting news about the Linux kernel and its NTFS support. And that is Paragon's implementation of NTFS in Linux might be mainlined into the kernel relatively soon. So NTFS, or the new technology file system from Microsoft, and also quick note, when something is named, it's best to avoid things like new 
in the title of something because those unfamiliar with the new technology of NTFS, it was first released in 1993. So just a quick note, don't call stuff new when you're naming things. Anyway, there's also a bit of drama attached to this news because Paragon Software said some interesting things last year, back in March of 2020. They shared some anti-open source rhetoric so it's very interesting turn of events with them seemingly pivoting entirely to now contribute code of their own to the Linux kernel. Late last year, Paragon Software announced they wanted to contribute their driver uh, to Linux for better support of NTFS in Linux. Some users may be curious why this is important when Linux has had NTFS support for well over a decade, almost two decades at this point. Why is this a big deal? Well, mostly performance, but also reliability. Now, there are some concerns from some developers, such as the initial code submitted seemingly a giant code dump of 27,000 lines, which, of course, needed some refinement, also needing con uh, confirmations from Paragon that they would continue to maintain it. But Paragon has stated that the company intends to continue maintaining the code once it is accepted. So this is you know, really good and looking like a very uh, interesting thing to happen for the kernel because there's a lot of potential benefits to it for those who need NTFS. There are currently two implementations of NTFS support in Linux, and neither of them are ideal. The Linux kernel already has an existing support for NTFS, but it's used just read-only, and it's also not really maintained much. There's, then there's also the NTFS 3G driver, which does include read and write support, but it's a Fuse implementation, which means it runs in user space, not in the kernel. The main drawback of this is that it is quite slow. Paragon's NTFS driver seems to perform over four times faster than the NTFS 3G driver in testing. Now, personally, I don't have any drives using NTFS, so this news doesn't really affect me at all, but I know there are a lot of people out there who need to mount a drive on Linux and on Windows for a wide variety of reasons, and this is going to be great news for those users. In the meantime, you should use the NTFS 3G driver, but possibly soon that could change to Paragon's kernel driver, and at that time, it should work right out of the box. So that I'm looking forward to. There's a lot of great value in this to be there. And as long as Paragon continues to maintain it, I think it'd be very good for a lot of people. And if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show is Nest with Fedora Conference. This is a virtual version of Fedora Project's uh, Flock to Fedora Conference. Now, this is a, pro a conference that has already pretty much concluded once you've watched the published version. Now, as I record this episode, the Nest with Fedora conference is ongoing. But if you're watching this after it's been published, then, you know, it won't be ongoing. But don't worry, there are all the talks are planned to be published on Fedora's YouTube channel. So you can check those out. Also, plus, I participated in a talk with Nest with Fedora this year with Grayson, one of the hosts of the Fedora podcast, to talk about the Fedora podcast. And for those who don't know, Fedora podcast is where you can go to get interviews with people around Fedora community and news about Fedora. It's also targeted about you know anyone who wants to learn you know what's going on in Fedora and that sort of stuff. Also, the Fedora podcast is a partnered podcast on the Destination Linux Network, so there's a lot of great content on the Fedora podcast and at this year's Nest with Fedora. So be sure to check it out. Links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com/dln. Bitwarden is a great piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides these tools for storing your passwords in a secured vault, 
auto-generating your passwords for you, and even automatically filling in passwords for you on login forms so you don't have to. Plus, it has access across many different types of devices, so you can use your web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, and even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only one with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I also think you want to check out their premium accounts because they have a lot of great features in that. And it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's it. Just less than a dollar per month. Not even a dollar per month. It's $10 per year. So you can get all this great stuff like one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. Plus, check out their business accounts and their family accounts because you can get a lot of benefits from those if you need to do it for business use. Like, for example, you have employees that you want to have have a good password manager to be able to store passwords and also share them in an organizational-style vault, which is really cool. So that's a very beneficial thing. Plus, there's also family plans where you can create it for your your spouse, so your kids, your 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 you know siblings, your parents, that, that sort of stuff. And it makes it a lot easier to get people started with a password manager who have never used it before because you can set it up for them and then just show them how to use it. It's really great. Uh, the, the family plan has been saved me a lot of hassle. So thank you, Bitwarden, for making that. Anyway, so you make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this week in Linux. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about LatteDoc because they've released 0.10. After more than a year and a half of development, the latest release is now available and it has over 2,200 commits since the version 0.9. And this is a massive update, as you can imagine. It introduces a bunch of, of new slick features it now supports uh, floating docks and panels, which means you can essentially move them anywhere on your screen. It also adds support for multiple docks and or panels to be replaced on the same screen edge, such as having a split panel style attached to the corners if you want to. Also, as well as support for multiple latte, latte tasks inside of the same dock or panel. Not sure how practical that would be, but you can, so that's cool. Also, 0.10 introduces support for background radius, which is being able to basically round corners of the background of the docks, also configurable drop shadows on those docks, and an on-demand sidebar, which is essentially panels in a sidebar layout. It also has added support to inform the Plasma desktop about panels and docks ge geometries for having the Plasma elements and windows interact with Latte dock elements like with effects and window snapping and that sort of stuff, as well as being able to use templates now for all layout functionality inside of Latte Doc, which is just really awesome because uh, you can basically share those templates, templates and then create like an export and import kind of thing. It's really cool. Also, they've made it possible to use Latte Doc in other desktop environments. That's right. So it's not just a KDE Plasma based doc anymore. You can now use it in GNOME and XFCE and etc., which is very cool. I mean, it's still the best experience to use KDE Plasma because KDE Plasma is the best DE in my opinion because I'm not at all uh, biased on that. It's legit. It, okay, it might be my favorite DE and I might have made a video about that specifically and about why it's my favorite which I'll have linked in the show notes. But also, depending on the release cycle of your distribution, it may or may not be available to you to use LatteDoc, the latest version, but it is recommended for users to wait until their distro makes the updates to put it in their repos because it is a pretty complicated setup to, to, to use it, but 
If you want to compile it yourself, you can do so. I'll have a link for the information about how to do that in the show notes, as well as you know, links to LatteDoc itself and some demo videos. There's some really cool videos made by the LatteDoc developer. So I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about an open source media server called Gerbera. Gerbera? I'm not sure. Gerbera? Ooh, I like that one. Let's go with that one. This week, they have released version 1.9 of Gerbera. So Gerbera allows you to stream your digital media through your home network and listen to music or watch video on a variety of UPnP-compatible devices. A Gerbera, Gerbera should work with any UPnP-compliant client. And uh, Gerbera is a successor of MediaTomb as it's based on MediaTomb 0.12.1, which has been around was around for a very long time, but didn't get updates uh, for a few years. So Gabera is a replacement for that. Now there's a lot of features in Gabera. So there's uh, be able to browse and playback your media via your network of all kinds of devices. It also has metadata extraction from MP3s, OG files, AACs, M4As, FLACs, and many, many more. There's also media uh, on-the-fly media thumbnail support, so it will automatically create the thumbnails as you load them. So, and also web UI for with, with a, a tree view of the database and file system, allowing you to add, remove, edit, and browse your media just like you would with a file manager, which is really nice. They also have transcoding to convert your media on the fly to any format that will be supported on your device, which is really cool. So it'll automatically transcode it and it will, it'll automatically do the transcoding to detect what it needs to be running and also do it for you. Uh, it also has automatic directory rescans. So for example, if you need to, uh, you add something new into the directory, it'll be able to rescan and pull in that new data. And it also has support for external URLs. So you can create links to like internet content and that kind of thing, and then put that over through your network, which is really cool. If you'd like to learn more or check out Gabera or figure out how to actually say it and let me know in the comments. I'll have a link to the website in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about the audiobook player app, Cozy. So we're going to get a little bit comfortable, maybe even cozy. This week, I was asked by Twiller in the DLN community if I knew any audiobook apps for Linux. So I told them about Cozy. And then just this morning, Cozy 1.1.0 was released, so I felt I had to put it on the show. Like I said, Cozy is an open source audiobook player app for Linux. It uses GTK3, and the latest version with 1.1.0 has a lot of big changes. They've redesigned a bunch of stuff. For example, they have a new redesigned library, start screen, book detail screen, and they also redesigned the main window to use a responsive design so it will adjust based on the size of the window that you give it. It will change the contents inside of that window based on the size that you make it. They've also added a new welcome screen for new installations, which is really nice to see. I like it when applications and especially distros or DEs or that kind of thing, anything that's kind of complicated that, you know, shows you a like a walkthrough and a welcome screen is really nice to see. And also, Cozy is available as a flat pack. So if you want to check it out, you can do so right now by checking out the links in the show notes. The last topic for this week's episode is the Linux Foundation's announcement for a new effort they are working on in conjunction with IBM and a firm called Prometeo, which tries to enhance firefighter safety with open source. This is awesome. This, uh, this is actually an effort that comes out of the IBM's coding challenge. It's called Pyra. It's an open source project that is focused on monitoring and managing firefighter health and safety while battling fires. The Pyra project is said to be aimed at 
uh, helping protect firefighters from the immediate and long-term health impacts from the smoke and toxins they inhale by providing real-time information on exposure and by calculating long-term averages. The project uses custom sensors, smartphones, uh, smartwatch apps, data science, and a dashboard to provide decision-making insight and information. The Linux Foundation press release goes on to say, through the Pyra open source project, Prometeo, I don't know how to say it, I'm, I'm probably saying that wrong, but Prometeo, the Linux Foundation and IBM aim to accelerate innovation around firefighter health monitoring and safety by partnering with leading companies from the call for code ecosystems like Samsung. And the goal is to customize and scale the solution around the world in an effort to help save lives. I think this is fantastic. You know, I think this is great to hear it's being worked on because firefighters play a such a critical role and they don't tend to get that much thanks that they deserve. So I'm really happy to see that this kind of effort is being put out uh, because it's a very important thing and firefighters perform a very vital job. So having, you know, something like this to help make their jobs more safe is just awesome. So if you'd like to learn more about this effort, I'll have links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, be sure to like that smash button and also be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel and the show, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And also, if you become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and also just hang out every week after the show. And also, you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, which is a shirt I designed to convey the message that whether or not you know Linux is there, it probably is. And that is why Tux is blended into the background of the shirt. There's also the This Week in Linux shirt, which I'm wearing right now. You can check the, both of those out at dealinstore.com. There's also a lot of other great stuff at dealinstore.com. There's uh, t-shirts, hoodies, um, hats, mugs, stickers, backpacks, aprons, all sorts of stuff. So with the apron, you can twill while you grill and many, many more things there at dealinstore.com. And if you and while you're there, you can also check out some other content, such as more podcasting goodness from me with the latest episode of Destination Linux and also Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux network, as well as the other shows there and also YouTube channels there. There's the Pseudo Show, there's Gamesphere, there's there's DLN Extend, there's also the Fedora Podcast, and so much more. Go to destinationlinux.network to check those out. And also, just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or, 8, or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dlnlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.